afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West. The most haunted city in the country. Well, today is January 25th. 25th day of the year. 340 days remain to the year is over with. <coughs> Holidays and observances. National Irish Coffee Day. Observe the Weather Day. St. Dwinwin's Day. A Room of One's Own Day. National Florida Day. Mahayana New Year. Burns Night. Clashing Clothes Day. National Fish Taco Day. National HIV Nurse Day. National Opposite Day. Farmhouse Breakfast Week, National Fresh Squeeze Juice Week, Friendly Mediation Week, Snow Sculpting Week, Week of Prayer for Christian Unity. <coughs> Fat chance of that. Elisa Key's birthday today. Veganary Month, Thyroid Awareness Month, National Slow Cooking Month, Cervical Cancer Awareness Month, Bread Machine Baking Month. National Skating Month. January, Dry January. National Blood Donor Month. Manuary. International Brain Teaser Month. National Clean Up Your Computer Month. National Soup Month. Good Organize Month. International Creativity Month. Celebration of Life Month. National Oatmeal Month. National Be Kind to Food Servers Month. Double that tip. National Hot Tea Month, National Birth Defects Awareness Month, Get a Balanced Life Month, and National Hobby Month. All that having been said, in 41 AD, after a night of negotiation, Claudius is accepted as Roman Emperor by the Senate. 750, in the Battle of the Zab, the Abbasid rebels defeat the Umayyad Caliphate, leading to the overthrow of the dynasty. 1348, a strong earthquake strikes the South Alpine region of uh, Friuli in modern Italy. Caused a lot of damage to buildings as far away as Rome. 1494, Alfonso II becomes king of Naples. 1515, coronation of Francis I of France. Takes place at Reims Cathedral. Well, the new monarch is anointed with the oil of Clovis and Girt with the sword of Charlemagne. 1533, Henry VIII of England secretly marries his second wife, Anne Boleyn, who he eventually beheaded. Quick way to get a divorce. 1554, Sao Paulo, Brazil is founded by a Jesuit priest. 1573, Battle of Mikotagahara in Japan, Takeda. Shingen defeats a Tokugawa Ieyasu. 1576, Luanda, the capital of Angola, is founded by the Portuguese navigator Paulo Dias de Novaes. 1585, Walter Raleigh is knighted shortly after renaming North America region Virginia in honor of Queen Elizabeth, uh, Queen of England, sometimes referred to as the Virgin Queen. 1704, Battle of 
IU Bailey results in the destruction of most of the Spanish missions in Florida. 1755, Moscow University is established on uh, Tatiana Day. 1765, Port Egmont, the first British settlement in the Falklands Islands near the southern tip of South America is founded. 1787, Shays' Rebellion. The rebellion's largest confrontation outside the Springfield Armory results in the killing of four rebels and the wounding of 20. The, um, for those who are not familiar with Shays' Rebellion, armed uprising in western Massachusetts and Worcester in response to a debt uh, crisis among the citizens are in, in opposition to the state government's increased efforts to collect taxes on uh, both individuals and their trades. Fighting took place in the areas around Springfield in 1786 and 87. Historically, scholars have argued that 4,000 rebels uh, called uh, Shaysites uh, who protested against economic and civil rights injustices by the Massachusetts governor were read by Revolutionary War veteran Daniel Shays. But recent scholarship has suggested Shays' role in the protest was significantly and strategically exaggerated by Massachusetts elites who... Uh, had a political interest in shifting blame for bad economic conditions away from themselves onto somebody else. Which is pretty much what happens today. 1791, the British Parliament passes the Constitutional Act of 1791 and splits the old province of Quebec into Upper Canada and Lower Canada. 1792, the London Corresponding Society is founded. 1819, University of Virginia, Charter by Commonwealth of Virginia with Thomas Jefferson, one of its founders. 1858, the wedding march by Felix Mendelssohn is played at the marriage of Queen Victoria's daughter, Victoria, and Friedrich of Prussia and becomes a popular wedding processional. 1879, Bulgarian National Bank is founded. 1881, Thomas Edison and Alexander Graham Barrow formed the Oriental Telephone Company. 1890, Nellie Bly completes her around-the-world journey in 72 days. Now, Nellie Bly, for those that are not familiar with her, uh, that was her pen name. Her real name was Elizabeth Cochran Seaman, born Elizabeth Jane Cochran. She was an American journalist, widely known for her record-breaking trip around the world in 72 days in emulation of Jules Verne's his, uh, fictional character, Phineas Fogg, and an, an expose in which she worked undercover to report on a mental institution uh, from the inside. Pioneer in her field and launched a new kind of investigative journalism. She died at the age of 57 in New York City. And 1909... Richard Strauss's opera, Electra, gets its debut performance at the Dresden State Opera. 1915, Alexander Graham Bell inaugurates U.S. Transcontinental Telephone Service, speaking from New York to Thomas Watson in San Francisco. 1917, sinking of the SS Laurentic after hitting two German mines off the coast of Northern Ireland. 1918, Ukrainian People's Republic declares independence from Soviet Russia. 1918, the Finnish Defense Forces, the so-called White Guards, are established as the official army of independent Finland, and Baron C.G.E. Mannerheim is appointed its commander-in-chief. 1924, 1924 Winter Olympics opens in Chamonix, uh, 
the French Alps inaugurating the Winter Olympics Games. 1932, Second Sino-Japanese War, Chinese National Revolution Army begins the defense of Harbin. 1937, The Guiding Light, a well-known soap opera, begins on NBC Radio in Chicago. Began in 1952, but it moved. No, it moved in 1952. CBS Television, where it remained till September 18, 2009, when the guiding light went away. 1941, Pope Pius XII elevates the Apostolic Vicarate of the Hawaiian Islands to the dignity of a diocese. Becomes the first Roman Catholic diocese of Honolulu. 1942, World War II, Thailand declares war on the U.S. and the United Kingdom. 1945, World War II, the Battle of the Bulge ends on this date. 1946, United Mine Workers rejoin the American Federation of Labor. 1946, United Nations Security Council Resolution 1 relating to Military Staff Committee is adopted. 1947, Thomas Goldsmith Jr. files a patent for a cathode ray tube amusement device. First ever electronic game. And in another first, in 1949, the first Emmy Awards are presented in the U.S. <coughs> the venue is the Hollywood Athletic Club, where they pat themselves on the back about what a wonderful job they're doing. 1960, National Association of Broadcasters in the U.S. Uh, reacts to the payola scandal by threatening fines for any disc jockey that accepts money for playing particular records. 1961, Washington, D.C., President John F. Kennedy delivers the first live presidential news conference. 1964, Blue Ribbon Sports, which will later become Nike, is founded by University of Oregon track and field athletes. 1967, South Vietnamese junta leader and Prime Minister Nguyen Cao Ki uh, fires rival Deputy Prime Minister and Defense Minister Nguyen Hu Ko while the latter is overseas on a diplomatic visit. 1969, Brazilian Army Captain Carlos Lamarca deserts in order to fight against the military dictatorship. Took with him 10 machine guns and 63 rifles. <coughs> 1971, Charles Manson and four family members, three of them female, are found guilty of the 1969 Tate LaBianca murders. 1971, Idi Amin leads a coup deposing a Milton Obota, becomes Uganda's president. 1979, Pope John Paul II starts his first official papal visits outside Italy to the Bahamas, Dominican Republic, and Mexico. 1980, Mother Teresa is honored with India's highest civilian award, the Bharat Ratna. 1986, National Resistance Movement topples the government of Tito Okello in Uganda. 1990, Avianca Flight 52 crashes in Cove Neck, New York, kills 73 people. <coughs> 1993, five people are shot outside the CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia. Two are killed and three are wounded. 1994, spacecraft Clementine by BMDO and NASA is launched. 
1995, the Norwegian rocket incident. Russia almost launches a nuclear attack after mistakes. Black Brant 12, a Norwegian research rocket for a U.S. Trident missile. 1996, Billy Bailey becomes the first person to be hung in the U.S. I'm sorry, the last person to be hung in the U.S. He was a convicted murderer. Hung in Delaware, became the third person to be hung in the U.S. since, 18, since 1965. The previous two were Charles Rodman Campbell and Wesley Allen Dodd. They were hung in Washington. And the first person hung in Delaware in 50 years. As of 2023, he remains the last person to be lawfully executed by hanging in the U.S. Well, his excuse was as the ninth of 23 children... He lived in poverty and suffered chronic physical abuse. Mother died and is less than a year old. As, a redult, as an adult, he's known to, to police as a brawler and a thief. Well, 1998. During a historic visit to Cuba, Pope John Paul II demands political reforms and release of political prisoners while condemning U.S. attempts to isolate the country. 1998 also saw a suicide attack by the Liberation Tigers of Tamil Elam on Sri Lanka's Temple of the Tooth. Killed eight and injured 25 others. 1999, a 6.0 magnitude earthquake hits western Colombia. Killed at least 1,000 people. 2003, invasion of Iraq. A group of people leave London for Baghdad, Iraq to serve as Human shields intending to prevent the U.S.-led coalition troops from bombing certain locations. And uh, i got to say, that is one of the dumbest things anybody could ever do. They uh, intended to travel to Iraq to... December 2002, Kenneth O'Keefe, an ex-U.S. Marine and Persian Gulf War veteran who'd attempted multiple times to renounce his U.S. citizenship, posted a call to action for large numbers of Western uh, citizens to migrate to Iraq and become human shields. Uh, the action was ultimately uh, named the Truth, Justice, Peace, Human Shield Action to Iraq. O'Keefe believed protests and petition had no chance of preventing the invasion and a large presence of Western citizens uh, strategically placed in Iraq at the potential targets was the only viable deterrent to war. He acknowledged Saddam Hussein was a violent dictator and mass murderer before he got to Iraq. Um, he did this supposedly uh, in an attempt to neutralize the perception the human shields were pawns of uh, Saddam. Consequently, he didn't receive any favor from Saddam. His influence within the action declined rapidly, and eventually he was deported days before the invasion. For his deportation, he allegedly, uh, repeatedly alleged Western support for Hussein uh, during some of his more notorious atrocities. And ultimately argued it was the people of Iraq who would suffer most from the war. Well, he had a group of 50 leave London and head for Baghdad. They traveled through Europe and Turkey by bus and picked up more volunteers along the way. Eventually got up to a total of 75. It's been estimated that 
Overall, two to 500 people made their way to Iraq before the invasion in March. They deployed themselves at the Aldura Electrical Plant, um, Baghdad South Electrical Plant, 7 April Water Treatment Plant, and a number of other facilities. None of the 80 shields who stayed in Baghdad throughout the war were killed or injured. None of the sites where they were residing were destroyed. But that just goes to show there are lunatics everywhere. 2005, a stampede at the Mandra Devi Temple in Maharashtra, India, kills at least 258. 2006, Mexican professional wrestler Juana Barraza is arrested in connection with the serial killing of at least 10 elderly women. Well, twenty ten Ethiopian Airlines Flight four hundred nine crashes into the Mediterranean Sea off the coast of uh, Niamey, Lebanon, killed ninety. Two thousand eleven, the first wave of the Egyptian Revolution begins throughout the country, <coughs> marked by street demonstrations, rallies, acts of civil disobedience, riots, labor strikes, and violent clashes. 2013, at least 50 people are killed and 120 are injured in a prison riot in the Barquisimeto, Venezuela. 2015, a clash in uh, Mamasapano uh, in the Philippines killed 44 members of Special Action Force, uh, at least 18 from the Moro Islamic Liberation Front and 5 from the Bank Samoro Islamic uh, Freedom Fighters. They got such interesting names. And 2019, a mining company's dam collapses in Brima, uh, Dinho, Brazil, southeastern city, killed 270 people. Well, we're going to start out today's show talking about a haunted location in Canada. It's the Elgin and Winter Garden Theater in Toronto. It's described as a remarkable architectural gem. has the distinction of being the last surviving operational double-decker stacked theater in the entire world. Although it's best known for theatrical and operatic productions, part of the reason the theaters are so popular that they're said by many to be haunted. The apparitions include disembodied trombone player, the Lavender Lady, whose presence uh, ushers uh, in her namesake scent, uh, as well as a cold breeze, according to Canadian news source Daily Hive. Lavender Lady often uh, summons the 1913 uh, manual elevators or spends time on the grand staircase. A trombone player, once spoken to during a seance using a Ouija board, identified himself as Sam. I'm man who played trombone at the theater in 1918. 1984, an individual donning a brown suit and a matching bowler hat occupied a seat in the second row during a private rehearsal. But when approached, he vanished. That's according to the theater's official site. And furthermore, theater personnel have heard defend echoes of a woman's voice repeatedly calling their names. Now, you can book a tour of the theaters 
Though it won't be ghost-based, but who knows what you might see. You might just be lucky enough to come across a few of the ghostly residents who may want um, to come impress you with their ethereal nature. (coughs) Well, let's talk about the ghost of Bellamy Bridge. Tragic tale of two lovers torn apart and the hauntings that followed. You know, the the ghostly presence uh, lingering about Bellamy Bridge is well known to Floridians, particularly those uh, who live in and around the small town of uh, Mariana. Been there. It's a nice little town. One of my relatives was mayor for a long time. A few curious, uh, few curious specter seekers, history buffs, uh, who want to appreciate the rusted steel frame structure. Um, find it's just a short stroll along the Bellamy Bridge Heritage Trail that will take you there. But if you do come, you might happen upon the restless apparition that haunts the murky swamplands of the Chipola River. And as legend has it, she's on a mission that uh, might not ought to interfere with. Built in 1914, the current ruins of Bellamy Bridge stand on the site of its predecessor, which was a wooden bridge that was first built in 1840. That's according to the bridge's official website. As a result, Bellamy Bridge is recognized as the oldest of its kind in the state of Florida, and it's believed to be Florida's most haunted bridge, according to the Visit Jackson County website. The most famous tale surrounds Bellamy Bridge is at Elizabeth Jane Bellamy. No more commonly in their afterlife is the ghost of Bellamy Bridge. Close proximity to the this structure lies her neglect and overgrown final nesting place, providing a likely explanation for Elizabeth's uh, enduring presence in the vicinity. Now, those who ventured near the bridge have reported uh, various sightings and other strange occurrences. <coughs> a ghost has been reported in the form of Unusual blue and white lights, a misty shadow, even a faint form of a young woman dressed in white. That's according to the website. Some have even recounted witnessing a peculiar phenomenon involving a luminous ball of fire that uh, descends from above and passes through the ancient structure. Maybe Elizabeth Jane Bellamy has the power to materialize in various manifestations. Or maybe there's some other occurrence unfolding at Bellamy Bridge. We'll probably never know for sure, but it is fun to speculate, as residents, of course, have been doing for uh, generations. Well, for Elizabeth and her husband, Dr. Samuel Bellamy, the story of their courtship could have been ripped from the pages of a romantic novel. That's according to Florida Country Magazine. The tale commences on their wedding night, a night that was picture perfect until it uh, took an unexpected twist. After saying their vows in the stately mansion that Samuel built for his beloved, they held a celebratory reception surrounded uh, by music and dancing, laughter, good company. Wedding said to have been a remarkable affair, attracting guests and gifts from as far away as Europe, according to the uh, travel site Explore Southern History. Well, tired from the party, Elizabeth went upstairs to West in a suite on the second floor, and in the soft glow of her 
crackling fireplace next to a flickering candelabra, she sat down in a chair and drifted out to sleep. Well, later on, there was a blood-curdling scream heard as Elizabeth suddenly sprinted toward the guest, ablaze from head to toe. And though her husband and the wedding guest tried to help, they, she couldn't be saved. And a life without his Elizabeth, well, there was no life at all. Swallowed by despair, Samuel surrendered to addiction, drowning his sorrows in the embrace of alcoholism and opium, according to Florida Country. Didn't take him long to lose all hope and join Elizabeth by taking his own life as he waited for a, a ferry at the town of Chattahoochee. Bound by their profound love, the bride's spirit apparently sensed the moment he left the living realm. And determined to find him, she waited by the bridge in hopes he'd one day cross and reunite with her. Well, his most tragic romances uh, hold uh, Samuel never did come. Well, the, the two lovebirds from this story were actually real living people. He was the son of a wealthy planter, and she was the daughter of General William Croom. That's according to Explorer Southern History. But contrary to legend, there was no disastrous inferno on the night of their nuptials. Real Elizabeth Bellamy died of fever May 11, 1837, three years after her wedding night, according to Florida Country. Her son died a week later. Both are believed to have died of malaria. There's a 1836 letter from Elizabeth's half-brother describes symptoms similar to how malaria uh, presents itself, and the swamps along the Chipola River created ideal conditions for the proliferation of mosquitoes and the diseases they carried. The narrative surrounding a blaze engulfing a bride on a wedding night apparently uh, was lifted from the pages of a widely acclaimed 19th-century novel titled uh, Marcus Worland by Carolyn Lee Hines. While the author claimed the tale was authentic, it actually belonged to an enslaved African-American couple who had the same last name. However, the tragic addiction attributed to Dr. Samuel Bellamy in the tale was, uh, in fact, true, and he did eventually take his own life in the same fashion mentioned in the story, but not before prospering for a brief time. He was a delegate to Florida's first constitutional convention and later served as uh, Jackson County's clerk of courts. But he never recovered from the loss of his wife and child, according to Florida Country. You can only assume the two are still looking for each other, many believing she was unable to find him due to him having been buried in an unmarked grave. That was, was typical for the time of those who committed suicide. Then we have Emily's Bridge. Overlooking Gold Brook and Stowe, Vermont, is a beautifully weathered, covered wooden bridge that spans a length of 50 feet. Its official name may be a Gold Brook uh, Covered Bridge. Locals have come to call it Emily's Bridge due to the, the sad tale that surrounds it. Single-lane covered bridge constructed in 1844 is believed to be the site of a tragic suicide committed by a young woman during the mid-1800s. Legend holds that a young girl named Emily fell in love with a man from the wealthy family despite coming from a low-income family herself. Man's family forbid him from marrying her due to her lower social status. Well, in a daring act, the couple made the decision to elope and escape Stowe after their marriage was annulled, arranging to rendezvous at the bridge. She showed up that night, but her lover didn't. Overwhelmed by her grief and Abandonment said that she hung herself on the bridge's rafters. And to this day, her angry spirit 
haunts those who dare cross Emily's Bridge, uh, clawing at the cars and pedestrians. And many who've crossed it have also claimed to hear strange voices and footsteps in the vicinity. Well, from haunted bridges, let's talk about highways to hell. Seven haunted roads whose reported encounters will uh, give you something to think about. There's no question you'd be you've heard about haunted houses and hotels and even dolls, but what about haunted roads? We're going to talk about some of America's most demonic drives. Start out with Archer Avenue. And those who spent some time in Chicago are likely well aware of Resurrection Mary, the hitchhiking, hitchhiking ghost known to haunt Archer Avenue. Section of Archer Avenue extending from the Resurrection Cemetery to St. James uh, Sag Church is widely regarded as one of the most haunted areas in all of Chicago. That's according to the driving-oriented travel site Road Trippers. Countless people reported catching a glimpse of the young blonde woman dressed in a white gown walking along the roadside at night in search of a kind stranger to help her get back home. And those kind enough to pick up the stranded woman are surprised when she vanishes in thin air before reaching her destination. And where does she ask to be taken? Almost always to the Resurrection Cemetery. Well, the ghost is said to be a regular visitor at dance halls and clubs throughout the south side of the district of Chicago. One man in the 1930s encountered Resurrection Mary at the Old Henry Ballroom. They even shared a dance. He said her hands were unbelievably cold. She gave him her home address, but asked he drop her off at the cemetery where she promptly vanished. Next day, he went to the address she'd given him, and her mother opened the door, and he asked for her. The mother replied she died in a car accident four years ago. Well, while some people doubt Mary was an actual person, most people agree her name was actually Anna Mahira Norcus, who was actually killed in a car accident on the way home from a night out at the old Henry Ballroom in 1927. How about uh, Oasis Street in the city of Appleton, Wisconsin? The street... Uh, consistently graces the top ten list of America's most haunted roads. What makes this road so noteworthy is Riverside Cemetery, established in 1850. Paranormal energy there is said to permeate the entire stretch of the road at Reside Zone. Eerie sightings have been reported only within the confines of the cemetery, but also on the road itself. According to the blog for Online Marketplace Commercial Truck Trader, uh, phantom mourners have been seen at the funerals in old-fashioned clothes and they leave in a carriage that disappears into the street. But they apparently can't actually have their eternal resting place, no matter how fast a carriage uh, flies. Numerous individuals have even reported encountering spectral hitchhikers. Curiosity or kindness has led them to, uh, some people to extend the rides, only to have their passengers vanish into thin air as soon as they pull away from the curb. Well, the most popular phantom is that of a woman named, uh, known as Kate Blood, whose uh, tombstone can be found in the uh, Riverside Cemetery. According to online publication Mental Floss, the story surrounding Kate Vary was some depicting her as a malevolent witch who brutally murdered her husband and children using an axe. Others suggested she herself was the 
one murdered by her husband. Um, of course, local historians uh, assert that Kate's real cause of death was more than likely tuberculosis. Reportedly, she can, can be seen, she can be seen roaming around in a hooded cloak. Local legends suggest the blood drips from her tombstone during the anniversary of her death, or other the enchanting glow of a full moon. Then, for ghost hunters looking for a spooky fright, you just might get lucky if you drive along the winding three-mile Prospector's Road that traverses the hilly regions of gold country, uh, California, known as for its rich paranormal history. Local lore tells of a tall, drunken prospector who committed a grave error that would result in his untimely death. He was so inebriated and pleased with himself, he uh, bragged to an entire saloon one night about his success striking gold in Garden Valley that day. Not a smart thing to do in the uh, rough-and-tumble California gold rush days of 1800s. Drunken miner's uh, bragging eventually led to him being the victim of a surprise attack from Envious bar patrons on his way home. That's according to the online publication, Pop Sugar. They murdered the boastful miner and stole his hard-earned witches. The road is said to be haunted by a spirit to this day as he roams that stretch at night in search of his lost goal. Some reported seeing his ghost along Prospector's Road, pickaxe and all. Rumored to sport a ghostly uh, translucence while hovering a few inches above the ground. He's wearing a ragged mining attire. That's according to uh, tourist blog Weird California. Legend has it those who cross paths with the Phantom Miner are met with eerie whispers or blood-curdling screams of get off my claim. According to Mental Floss, the uh, murdered prospector is reportedly uh, to blame for a significant number of accidents along that winding route. And many people even blame the ghost for misplaced objects, frightened pets, and doors that mysteriously lock on their own. Then we have the oddly named Knock Knock Road. Well, when it comes to the ghostly legends, it sends shivers down your spine. Few can match the chilling reputation of Knock Knock Road in Detroit, Michigan. Now, the official name of the Knock Knock Road is uh, Strasburg Road. Streets earned its foreboding nickname thanks to a peculiarly unnerving phenomenon that numerous drivers have reported encountering. Situated in the Pulaski-Osborne-Von-Steuben section of Detroit, which is located just south of Seven Mile, the legend behind Knock Knock Road, like many, tells the story of a young girl in a horrible accident. According to uh, storytelling blog, The Ghost in My Machine, the legend holds that while riding her bike, this girl unintentionally rolled into a traffic-heavy street where a heedless driver collided with her bike, resulting in the young girl's timely death untimely death. Despite her body being respectfully removed and buried, her spirit reported remains bound to the spot where the accident occurred. Under the veil of night, it is said she often roams down this stretch of Strasburg Road, knocking on the doors of passing cars in hopes of finding a driver who tragically cut her life short. So if you plan on making your way down the road, be prepared to hear her signature knock, knock, knock on the door of your car. Who knows what will happen if you stop. Then in Marshall, Texas, we have Stagecoach Road, historic red dirt road adorned with towering oak trees that stretch out and touch one another from both sides. 
at times forming a beautiful archway that blocks the sunlight. This tunnel-like pass served as the main thoroughfare for stagecoaches traveling between Shreveport and Marshall in the early to mid-1800s before the Civil War. That's according to the local newspaper, the Marshall News Messenger, making it a historically important route in the region. It's also home to several spooky legends and alleged hauntings. And one that uh, gets brought up time and again is that of a voodoo queen during the 1800s who was exiled from New Orleans and found refuge in Marshall. Having found a peaceful home, she made a living selling talismans of good fortune to the townspeople. Until Marshall's priest, who was fearful of the occult, ended her life on Stagecoach Road. Today her spirit can be seen wandering along the road on nights with a full moon. Wielding shrunken heads and voodoo dolls, hell-bent on bringing bad luck to the town that betrayed her. That's according to a commercial truck trader. But that's not the only reported ghost sighting on Stagecoach Road. Legend has it that a mother in the area took the lives of her two children in the marsh. That's according to Marshall News Messenger. She initially uh, intended to end her own life as well, but didn't carry out her full plan. When the townspeople discovered the truth of what she'd done, they took matters into their own hands. She's still out there on Stagecoach Road looking for her children, according to the story. The uh, Many people claim to have seen the mother and her two children and Sunshine Paranormal Investigators of Fort Worth believes he's uh, captured a photo of her. One visitor to Dirt Road uh, named uh, Stephanie Watson also captured undeniable evidence of a child's handprint on her dusty Jeep with no children have been seen in the vicinity of... Then we have what's known as Annie's Road in Tatawa, New Jersey. Ominous screams and mysterious reappearing bloodstains, strange fog patterns, malfunctioning technology. All these experiences are associated with Annie's Road. Officially known as Riverview Drive, this winding suburban road along the bank of the Passaic River is lined with numerous oaks and maple trees. Rumors of ghosts and apparitions have been reported on this road going back as far as the colonial days, according to the, uh, an online publication called Dangerous Roads. Possible connection is that the street runs parallel to Laurel Grove Cemetery. Uh, claimed travel guide, uh, Weird New Jersey, makes note of the fact there have been several instances where this road has steered its nighttime travelers towards its peril, even death. Known for its sharp curves and narrow shoulder, Annie's Road has become... Uh, Intimately acquainted with uh, countless tragic car wrecks. If it's so haunted, then why does Riverview Drive uh, have such a seemingly sweet nickname? Well, the story behind it is anything but sweet. What should have been her magical night full of happiness, laughter, and teen love, uh, prom night that is, Annie and her boyfriend began to argue while traveling home along Riverview Drive. Her furious boyfriend demanded Annie get out of his car and he drove off leaving her alone in the middle of a dark wooded road with no sidewalks. So she began walking towards Tawada uh, Road, still in her white prom dress, looking for a ride home. Sadly, she never did find a helping hand. Before she was able to react to the headlights coming her way, she was allegedly hit by an oncoming pickup truck. Her beautiful white prom dress was caught by the truck and drug her body down the stretch of road past Laurel Grove Cemetery. 
To this day, many people claim to have seen Annie pacing along the road wearing the dress she died in. And if you're in for the in the area looking for a spooky road trip, 45 minutes west of Annie's Road is New Jersey's infamous Shades of Death Road. And that is the real name, folks. It's a notorious stretch of homicides and accidents along uh, Ghost Lake, known for its uh, spooky mist. Then we got Whiskey Hollow Road in uh, Baldwinsville, New York. New York. It's a country road with a haunted reputation. Covering five miles, this rural thoroughfare is notorious for its paranormal activity and unsettling encounters. Somewhat so, it remains closed to visitors during nighttime hours. With no homes or businesses situated along its woodsy shortcut, this is uh, an ominous quiet that surrounds uh, Whiskey Hollow Road by day. At night, the road reportedly comes alive with the ghosts of children who have been forever cursed to wander the grounds. Legend has it the Ku Klux Klan, as well as nefarious groups of Satan worshippers, historically used the woods surrounding Whiskey Hollow Road as a meeting place. Perfect area for the supposed killings and sacrifices that have been attributed to both groups. Some claim they have run into ghosts of the small children wandering the road. Others have been uh, seen bloody children's uh, blanket hanging on the trees. That's according to radio station Big Frog 104. At times, the children appear bewildered to witness, while on other occasions, uh, they've actually approached pastors by seeking assistance only to then vanish into uh, thin air immediately after asking for help. And then, of course, we have uh, a very famous haunted house, the Lizzie Borden House. It was August 4th, 1892. That day began like any other for the Borden family of Fall River, Massachusetts. But Andrew and Abby Borden, well, that would be their last day. Later that morning, they'd be found uh, lifeless, brutally slaughtered with a hatchet. And though never convicted for the crime, the most likely suspect in the public opinion is none other than her daughter, Lizzie Borden. Described by Smithsonian Magazine is arguably the most famous true crime case after the 1888 Jack the Ripper horrors. This unsolved Deborah murder continues to attract armchair detectives, paranormal investigators, those looking for a unique hotel to stay. Uh, the murder house has been turned into a bed and breakfast. This uh, Greek revival house on 2nd Street was home to five residents. The family patriarch, Andrew, Abby, the stepmother, Andrew's adult daughters, Emma and Lizzie, and a young Irish maid named Bridget Sullivan. After the discovery of Andrew's blood-soaked body, slumped over the sitting room sofa, and Abby's butchered corpse sprawled across the floor of the upstairs guest room, only the three remained. And only two were present on that tragic Thursday morning, Bridget and Lizzie. Emma was out of town, unaware of the horrors taking place at home. Bridget was ruled out as a suspect early on during Abby's murder, which apparently preceded Andrew's by about an hour. She was outside cleaning the house's dirty windows. During the second killing, she was snoozing in her room located in the attic. That isn't who she woke up with Lizzie shouting, uh, Come down quick, father's dead, somebody came in and killed him. He lay on the sofa with nearly a dozen gaping hatchet wounds. 
Well, well, Bidger is dispatched to summon various individuals. Lizzie chose to remain indoors. We don't know what she was doing. As the commotion grew, local residents gathered at the scene, prompting inquiries as to Abby's whereabouts. And it was at this point that Lizzie's story began to contradict itself. Initially, Lizzie claimed her stepmother was out caring for an ailing acquaintance, but subsequently changed her story to say she believed she heard Abby's supposed return to the Borden residence. It was Bridget, along with a concerned nephew, who made the rather grim discovery of Abby's lifeless body lying face down upstairs. She'd been hacked 19 times. A notable clue is Lizzie was known to dislike her stepmother intensely, according to the Estonian magazine. August 11th, 1892, marked the day of Lizzie's formal arrest in connection with the double homicides. And according to USA Today, though Lizzie was arrested for the murders, indicted by a grand jury, and tried for the crime, she was acquitted. Many attribute this to her being tried by a jury of men who couldn't believe a woman like her, or a woman in general, frankly, could commit such a heinous crime, many of whom had daughters her age. And this wouldn't help by her supposed fainting in the courtroom. Took the jury an hour to reach their verdict. Well, the not guilty verdict stood despite several aspects of the case that highlighted her suspicious behavior, including eyewitness testimony of Lizzie hiding and then burning a gown, or informing a friend before the murder she believed something bad might happen. Her contradictory narratives, including one story where she claimed to have removed her father's boots as he napped, although the, the crime scene actually told a different story. Her cool, calm, tearless demeanor is described by one officer upon discovering her father's corpse. Her complete lack of an alibi. Several axes and hatchets uh, found in the cellar, though they were bloodless. The dress she supposedly wore on the day of the murders featured a tiny speck of blood. And while all this evidence is admittedly circumstantial, most people believe there's simply no way she no one else who could have done it other than Lizzie. Well, the gruesome murder scene now offers historical house tours, ghost tours, and welcomes visitors to stay at their bed and breakfast. Many say the house is haunted, further solidified by its second-place ranking on a 2021 list of the 10 best haunted hotels across the globe. According to Lance Zahl, CEO of U.S. Ghost Adventures, guests has experienced limbs or ears being pulled and They've seen figures moving about in uh, their rooms. Many other visitors have reported feeling a ghostly presence tugging at their clothing and even hearing disembodied whispers. Numerous ghosts have been uh, have also claimed to hear the playful laughter of children emanating from the bedroom uh, situated in the attic. And while this may seem strange to the lack of children at the Borden residence, according to... Uh, the Daily Fall River newspaper, the Herald News, two children brutally killed by their mother in a neighboring house in 1848. Supposedly, if you leave them Torah offerings, they were aflame from spooking you. And the ghost of the father, Andrew, on the other hand, reportedly responds best to a few coins left on the dresser in his bedroom. Today, the house remains a largely unchanged furniture in the this is an original position. 
Decorations have been meticulously replaced, and the original hardware and doors uh, are uh, preserved. Visitors literally transported back to that morning when a perfect storm of events culminated in a double murder. A case that will probably never be solved. Let's talk about the Calcasieu Paris Courthouse. Ghost of convicted killer Tony Joe Henry, the only woman in Louisiana history to be executed by electric chairs, believed to haunt the Calcasieu Parish Courthouse, where they flipped the switch on November 28, 1942. When Tony met her soon-to-be husband, Claude Cowboy Henry, she fell madly in love with the former boxer. So much so, she's willing to put her own life on the line and take someone else's after he was arrested and sentenced to 50 years for a murder he committed before their union. She came up with a plan to break her cowboy out of jail, including orchestrating a bank robbery. Finding herself an accomplice and commandeering a getaway vehicle belonging to Joseph Calloway. That came from the Texarkana newspaper, Texarkana Gazette. Unfortunately, a plan went a bit awry when she lost her temper and shot Joseph uh, clean through the head. She subsequently disposed of his body in a field in Jennings, Louisiana. As expected, she was eventually discovered, leading to her arrest and the subsequent legal proceedings that resulted in her historic execution. Those who believe she haunts the courthouse say she didn't offer to smell cheap perfume and burned hair. That equipment tends to burn on uh, seemingly out of nowhere. And uh, the equipment tends to turn on as well. Lights for the conductor malfunctions are common. According to Mystery Lovers, a blog, a Mysterious Trip, in some rare cases, the voices of women and screams echo from a stair landing is noticed. Well, let's see what else we got. If you thought the movie The Conjuring was frightening, let's talk about the real story behind the movie. Now, the famous 2013 horror film The Conjuring has captured millions of viewers worldwide with its scary based-on-a-true-story uh, tale. However, only select few are aware of the actual intriguing happenings that kick-started this unusual tale. The events you see unfold on screen are mostly authentic. They're inspired by renowned paranormal investigator duo and married couple Ed and Lorraine Warren's files and Recordings from when they handled the 1970s uh, Perone family haunting. But the true story behind the film is even more unsettling. January 1971, Perone family embarked on a new chapter in their lives when they settled into the expansive Arnold Estate, 14-room dwelling, located in the quaint rural community of Harrisville, Rhode Island. The family consisted of Carolyn, the mother, Roger, the father, and their five daughters, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April. They were immediately taken with the residents. According to Andrea, we felt like it was precisely where we belonged from the moment we all stepped on the property. felt like home. Shortly after settling in a new home, the Perone family was quick to realize that something peculiar was taking place inside the walls. Eerie occurrences uh, commenced with subtle and seemingly innocuous incidents. 
as is often the case in paranormal phenomena. A vanishing broom, an unknown object scraping against the tea kettle, a tiny amounts of soil materialized in the very center of a meticulously clean kitchen. But soon enough, the children began noticing apparitions lurking around the house with a broken-necked woman haunting Carolyn. According to uh, Andrea, the smell of rotting flesh began to linger and beds began to levitate. Carolyn was reported almost killed on the premises when she was suddenly lifted and thrown 20 feet across the dining room. Now, Andrea maintained that uh, Bathsheba, the antagonist of the film, got a bad rap on one actually responsible for the hauntings. Instead, she believes the spirit was somebody else entirely, but she was just a scapegoat. Uh, according to Andrea, the entity haunting and taunting my mother with a broken, had a broken neck and was likely Mrs. Arnold found hanging in the barn in 1797 at the age of 93. But Bathsheba was actually a real person, rumored to have practiced Satanism and suspected of murdering a baby in her care who Following an inquest, was discovered with a needle lodged in the base of its skull. Of course, this is all speculation, as nothing was ever proven. It was 1973, the night before Halloween, when paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren arrived at the Arnold Estate. Intrigued by the stories of its haunted reputation, they set out to explore the house, uncover the truth behind its mysterious occurrences, and maybe help the family. They came a handful of times throughout the following year, bringing along a priest, mediums, cinematographer, and audio specialist. Upon their arrival, the Perone family was alone in their, up until their arrival, the Perone family was alone in their otherworldly battles. Apparently, Ed on his deathbed described the Perone family investigation as the most intense, most compelling, most disturbing, and most significant of all the investigations they had ever conducted in more than 40 years as a paranormal researchers. Certain elements in the Conjuring film are fabricated or dramatized, such as the lack of a dog or the exorcism performed by Ed. In actuality, it was a seance, not an exorcism. Speaking of the Perone family seance, Andrew reported he saw it unfold after steadily sneaking a peek. He said, I, I, she, that, she said, I thought I was going to pass out. My mother began to speak a language not of this world and a voice not her own. The events that uh, transpired at the seance left everybody dumbfounded. The medium collapsed at the table, unconscious. The priest was quivering in a corner, white as a sheet. According to online publication, all that's interesting, following the seance, Roger grew concerned about his wife's mental ability and, and stability and promptly expelled the warrants from his house. Seance, unfortunately, did nothing to help alleviate the family's suffering at the hand of that ghostly tormentors. However, Andrea maintains to this day her mother was not a victim of possession. Instead, she feels her mother was attacked. She understands the warning did the best they could. And Lorraine even apologized to Andrea at a private screening for the conjuring not, uh, for not realizing the severity of the situation. Family actually continued living in the haunted residence until 1980 because they didn't have enough money to move out. Oddly enough, on leaving the house, several of the family members felt saddened by leaving their ghostly roommates behind. Others, of course, couldn't wait to get the hell out of Dodge. You never really know what's going to happen when you walk into a haunted house. And, of course, we're going to uh, line up today's with the haunting of the White House. Now, while the idea of the White House may be haunted may seem uh, far-fetched at first, numerous accounts that its history suggest otherwise. 
visitors, staff members, even presidents themselves reported spine-chilling encounters that uh, defy rational explanation. We're going to talk about a handful of them. Abraham Lincoln, known as on site as the White House ghost, has been felt or seen numerous times. Franklin Roosevelt's valet once ran screaming from the White House on seeing his ghost. Then we got First Lady Mary Todd Lincoln. She conducted seances in the Red Room and uh, once claimed to make contact with the ghost of the seventh president, Andrew Jackson, hearing him swelling and stomping. Reportedly still haunting the Rose Room. Old Hickory's been spotted more than once lounging in his old bed. And then in a letter to his wife, Bess, Harry Truman told her he was hearing footsteps collecting about, drapes moving, and phantoms knocking on doors. He wrote, the damn place is haunted, sure as shooting. And more recently, First Lady Michelle Obama revealed she and her family often sensed a strange sensation of something nibbling at their toes. Uh, knowing the parties involved, I... That's a uh, ghost with a strong constitution. And White House staff had reported seeing Abigail Adams' ghost hanging uh, laundry in the East Room. They've also experienced the smell of wet clothes and lavender laundry soap. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow. And once again, we'll be talking about ghosts and hauntings. Till then, Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.